holy hour of power. Today's the feast day of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, a holy day of obligation. What a beautiful thing to start off the day with Holy Mass, with the Holy Eucharist, and with prayers. The month of December is also dedicated to the Immaculate Conception. And remember that the first uh, 24 days of December fall during the liturgical season called Advent. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And then we're going to move on to the remaining days of December uh, into the beginning of the Christmas season where the colors will change. Right now, the, the, the colors are purple, but they will change during the Christmas season to white or gold, which is a symbol of joy, purity, and innocence. Terry, I'm on duty. What about you, my friend? Yeah, see, I'm on duty. Believe it or not, I got two funerals going on here at the chapel. Wow. Got many masses for the Feast Man. of the Immaculate Conception, so I'm one busy guy. And I just want to thank Jesse. Many times I have to run out during the show to go take care of. <laughs> I got a Protestant minister I was evangelizing today. Uh, here he's like wow this is an amazing church i said yeah well you know no surprise yeah, you yeah. you evangelizing the protestant not terry barber yeah, yeah yes it's and you know what bro i gotta be honest with you lots of my stuff you guess where i got it from not just fulton sheen scott hahn but jess romero's logic on evangelizing <laughs> these guys it's well we've been doing ra- we've been doing radio yeah. for a long time yeah it's blue collar though it's blue yeah. collar that's what i yes. love about it yes so let's talk about the feast but you know before we get into that I, I, I just have to tell you, Jesse, you, you're blessed. You moved out of California probably seven years ago, eight, nine, nine. nine. Oh, God. I'm sorry. It goes by fast. You lost track. I did, Jess. It's easy. Well, California, just this is what I call the need to know file. Jesse, California's budget deficit swells to a record $68 billion as tax revenues fall. And guess what California is doing, Jesse? We have 20 new tax regulations going in the first of the year to raise more money. So what's their solution to a deficit? Not, not, not spending less. No, no, taxing more. That's California. God I got one more, one more. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. One more Give thing. It Just the other thing is, this is big to no file. <clears throat> and I'll share more of it as we get closer to the new year. A VMPR is having to have a new lineup uh, of talks and of, of not just talks, I should say, of radio shows with Bishop Joseph Strickland. I'll be, him, be with him on the 15th doing another show. But starting the first of the year, we'll be doing multiple shows every week. So he's going to have a mouthpiece and he's got a big mouth to talk on evangelization. So he fits well with, uh, with the VMPR folks. So keep that in mind. Also, Matthew Arnold, who I've worked with for 25 years, starting the first of the year, He's not going to have the radio show, which is called um, No Nonsense Catholicism. He's going to have a podcast to teach you the faith. And also, he's a great teacher for RCIA. Guess what he's going to do, man? He's taking Bishop Athanasius Snyder's book on the catechism. And he's going to walk you through that course. Because this is what Matt does for 15 years at RCIA. So anybody who wants a refresher course and to deal with some of the issues of the day, just look, you'll be seeing more about this as the new year comes. And I'm hoping I can tell you in another week that we have another show on spiritual warfare in the Bible. That's a teaser, folks. It's coming. Uh, yeah. So lots to change, a lot of changes, but I think they're for the good. All right, Jess, how about you, brother? Good to know, File. Yeah, Terry, let's uh, good to know, File, today's gospel. Oh, soul food, brother. Let's soul get to it. food. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Today's gospel at Holy Mass is the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Yep. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee 
called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Something interesting there, that that, that prophecy of the virgin that will have a child was prophesied by Isaiah the prophet. So the Jews understood this prophecy for about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Yeah, and the name Mary, as I've told you before, it's an Egyptian name. It means the beautiful one, the wow. bountiful one, the perfect one in Egypt. Wow. It's, it's actually pronounced medium. And the Jews actually took that name because they thought it was so beautiful. And they tried to try it and, and they brought it into their culture. Awesome. So it says, and coming to her, <laughs> this is the angel Gabriel. He said, hail full of grace. Notice that's Mary's title. Hail full of grace. Mm-hmm. What else do we know about her? The Lord is with you. That's why she's full of grace because the Lord is with her. When you're separated from the Lord, that's my comment, you're in mortal sin. Mortal sin is defined as a separation from God. Mary is full of God. It says, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. That verse is used over 300 times in the Bible. Do not be afraid. That's kind of an overarching theme of the whole Bible. Right. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall name him Jesus. That's that's that event. That moment right there is the immaculate conception right there. That's when Mary was our Lord was conceived at that moment in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's a church over in Bethlehem where this actually happened, where Mary was in the house in a cave. And this is where the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said these words. It's in Bethlehem. It's, uh, I think it's called the Church of, uh, uh, church of the, not the Nativity. The Nativity. Yeah, that's it. The Church of the Nativity. Yeah. Uh, he will, the, the angel Gabriel says, he, speaking about Jesus, will be great and will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Now, those words give me a lot of a lot of hope. I'll tell you why. Number one, it shows his human nature that he comes from a kingly line, the line of David and the kingly line of Jews in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But also, notice what it says: that his kingdom uh, will last forever. His the house of Jacob will last forever, and of his kingdom that will be no end. Now, we're not talking about a Jewish kingdom here. Because those ki- those kingdoms will come to an end. They came to an end. We're not talking about a, a, a physical kingdom in Israel like the Protestants are waiting for. Or in Zionists. This is the Catholic Church. Yep. And the Catholic Church is indestructible, the Baltimore Catechism says. And the Catholic Church is here on earth being washed by the word of God. But in heaven, it's in perfection. And Mary is the first fruits of the Catholic church, the first fruits of the resurrection. Mary is the church triumphant par excellence. Then the Bible says, but Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I have no relations with a man? The, The fathers of the church have exegeted this passage saying that Mary had taken a perpetual vow of virginity when she was a child in the temple. And so for her, she's confounded by this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, angel. I've consecrated my whole body and soul to God as a child. How can this happen? Because I don't intend to ever be with a man and lie with a man. That's what she's saying here. Then it says, the Holy and the angel said to her in reply, in other words, this is how it's going to happen. He's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. By the way, 
that verb in, in, in Hebrew come upon you is you is basically the same language when a husband, the Jewish husband comes upon the wife in intimacy. It's the same language that's used here. And it says there uh, and the power of the most high will overshadow you again. That Hebrew verb denotes intimacy. Yep. Then it says, and therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So we see here the three persons of the Godhead, the Holy, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most, that's the third person, the power of the most high, the first person, the father will overshadow you. And what's going to be born in you? The second person of the Trinity, the son of God. She was completely Terry irradiated like, like nuclear explosion irradiated by the holy trinity then it says and behold elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her old age this is john the baptist prefigured and this is a six month for what for 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 her who was called barren and for nothing will be impossible for god just like sarah was barren and in her in her old age, and God allowed her to be pregnant. Uh, Elizabeth couldn't have a baby. God allowed her to to become pregnant. Right. Mary said, "Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word." Then the angel departed from her. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What a great gospel, Jess. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the last thing I'll say is this. Here's something interesting about. About the Blessed Mother yeah, to show just to sh- just for Protestants yeah. to show how important how above m- m- she's way above anybody yeah. in terms of her 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 closeness to God. I'll tell you why, because she's called full of grace, and that's a special Greek verb that's only used for her in the entire Bible, Kyrie Kekaritomini. But what's interesting is there's another person in the Bible that's called full of grace. Her son, Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is called full of grace. Luke 1, 26, Mary's called full of grace. Those are the only two people in the Bible called full of grace. Then the Bible, you know what it says about the rest of us, every other human being, it says in 2 Peter three eighteen, it says the rest of us have to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So every human being, starting with Adam and Eve, all the way to the last human being that will ever be born and die, all of us have to grow in grace because we're not full of grace. There's only two people that are full of grace. Jesus is, is, is full of grace by nature because he shares the nature of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Excellent. And the Blessed Virgin Mary, she's full of grace by predestination. This show's all about teaching you about the faith. Good job, Jess. Let's bring the smartest guy into the room right now. Archbishop. Full scene ahead. He says, And I was made for seeing and the ear for hearing. So the mind was made for truth, as the stomach was made for digestion, and the heart was made for pumping blood, so the will was made for goodness and for love. Yep, free will, we choose it. And that's the value, only saying yes to God. You have the freedom to say no. Stay with us, we'll be back in a short break. You're listening to The Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Okay, we are back. Terry and Jesse's show. <clears throat> Today is the, uh, it's the solemnity of the, of the Immaculate Conception. The Catechism has, I think, three paragraphs on the Immaculate Conception, so it's worth reading. 
remember, fellow Catholics, my family, it's, it's uh, today we need to go and honor our Lord and our Lady by going to Holy Mass today. So just kind of a reminder. So let me read to you from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's very short. And some of you are saying, so what is this whole thing, Immaculate Conception? I don't know what Jesse's talking about and Terry's talking about. It's in paragraph 490, 491, 492, 493, and 494. Let me, uh, let me get all this in- information in there. Paragraph 490, the Immaculate Conception. To become the mother of the Savior, Mary was enriched by God with gifts appropriate to such a role. The angel Gabriel at the moment of the Annunciation salutes her as full of grace. In fact, in order for Mary to be able to give the free assent of her faith to the announcement of her vocation, it was necessary that she be wholly born by God's grace. What that means is that at the moment of her conception, she was already full of grace. At the moment of conception, she was not born in sin as the, as the rest of us were. Paragraph 491. Through the centuries, the church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. Here's what he said. Pope Pius IX, quote, The most blessed virgin was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of of Almighty God and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. Paragraph 492. The splendor of an entirely unique holiness by which Mary is enriched from the first instant of her conception comes wholly from Christ. She is redeemed in a more exalted fashion by reason of the merits of her son, Jesus Christ. The Father blessed Mary more than any other created person in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and chose her in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Paragraph 493. The fathers of the Eastern Church call the mother of God the all-holy. That's that's in Greek, Panagia, the all-holy. Panagia in Greek, and they celebrate her as free from any stain of sin, as though fashioned by the Holy Spirit and formed as a new creature. By the grace of God, Mary remained free of every personal sin her whole life. Paragraph 494. At the announcement that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High without knowing man, By the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary responded with the obedience of faith, certain that with God nothing will be impossible. Behold, on the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. Thus giving her consent to God's word, Mary becomes the mother of Jesus, espousing the divine will for salvation wholeheartedly without a single sin to restrain her she gave herself entirely to the person and to the work of her son jesus christ and she did so in order to serve the mystery of redemption with him and dependent on him by god's grace saint Irenaeus, is father of the church he says about the blessed virgin mary about our lady it's in paragraph 494 of the catechism he says 
Saint Irenaeus says, being obedient, she became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. Hence, not a few of the, church, of the early church fathers gladly assert, quote, the knot of Eve's, of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience when the virgin Eve bound through her, bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened by her faith. Compa- comparing Mary with Eve, they call Mary the mother of the living and frequently claim the following, death through Eve, life through Mary. That's the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is found in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 490 to 494. Let me look at the glossary in the back of the Catechism to see uh, if there's another definition. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to point you to the, uh, it'll point you to what I just read to you right now. So in the glossary of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says, the dogma, this is one of the four Marian dogmas, the dogma proclaimed in, in, in Christian tradition and defined in 1854, the Immaculate Conception, that from the first moment of her conception, Mary, by the singular grace of God and by the virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, was preserved immune from original sin. So today's a holy day of obligation. And I, and I tell people, we don't have to go to Mass. No, we get to go. Can you imagine? God is calling us six days out of the year, six days of, of days of holy days of obligation according to the precepts of the Catholic Church. And Holy Mother Church is calling all her children to Mass today because Holy Mother Church wants to feed us with the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And guess where, guess where our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, where did he receive his body and blood from? He received it from his mother. Okay. Hey, let me share with you a little bit about last night. Uh, this is starting to happen more and more around the country, these, these drag queen events. And, and remember, these drag queens, they're men. They think they're women. They just don't want to be left alone. They're picking a fight. They're attacking, poking fun, and making fun of Christianity. More than just making fun, they're blaspheming and performing sacrilege against the holy name of Jesus and Mary. And they're doing this around the country. So last night, there was a drag queen Christmas event at the Arizona Financial Theater, downtown Phoenix. And uh, <clears throat> again, the irony is that it's, it's that uh, without Christ, it's not Christmas. Christ has not, Christmas has nothing to do with disordered identity crisis, disordered sexuality. Christmas is about the innocent Son of God, pure, holy, sinless, spotless. That's what we're celebrating not the filth of Western secular humanism, which is drag, which it's a spinoff from the LGBT movement. So, so last night, I'll tell you what happened last night. And I can say is praise be to God. 
I, I call men that come out, you know, in public and pray. I say, you're part of Team Jesus. So last night, the Team Jesus platoon. And women that go out and pray, I call them Mother Mary's army. <laughs> so last night, Catholic men and women, the Team Jesus platoon and Mother Mary's army platoons were activated. I'd say between 60 and 70 serious Roman Catholic Christian soldiers of Christ stood across the street, stood across the street from the Arizona Financial Theater where the drag queens were having a drag queen Christmas event, which is an oxymoron. It was pure sacrilege and blasphemy against the Holy Family. So, we Catholics felt duty-bound. We showed up, 60 to 70 of us, we stood across the street in military formation. The men stood around the perimeter. The woman stood in the middle. Everybody held their weapons, i.e. the Holy Rosary. Many men brought large crucifixes and held them high for two hours. It was beautiful to see that. Large crucifixes being held up in public. We had banners of Our Lady Guadalupe, banners of St. Michael the Archangel. We had two large banners about 15 feet long that read, Christmas is about Christ and innocence. Stop blaspheming it, Stop blaspheming it with drag. We prayed from 7 to 9 p.m. last night, directing our prayers and projecting our, our prayers across the street, asking our Lord and Our Lady to rain like dew, uh, the, 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 like, uh, you know, to rain like dew fall, the grace of conversion to the people that were inside that theater. Our prayers were also intended to make reparation for the sacrilege and blasphemy that was coming out of the mouths of many of the LGBT community across the street and also in reparation for the grave offense that was going to be displayed in the theater by the drag queen who, by the way, they are men who think they're women. Don't forget that. In case you didn't know, the drag queen movement and the temple of Satan work hand in hand. They both, they both hate Christ and they hate the Catholic Church. We pray the Holy Rosary, the Chaplet of the Divine Mercy, spiritual warfare prayers. We proclaim John 3.16 with bullhorns, Psalm 91, Psalm 68 over and over again. The divine praises. The weapons we use were spiritual. They were faith, hope, and love. Many homeless hung around us. The homeless were being soothed and calmed and blessed by our prayers. A young black lady who was attending the theater, she walked over to us from across the street and had a smile from ear to ear. She took out her phone. She recorded us. And she was happy we were there. She was happy. She told me. Some people that were going inside to the dry Christmas event looked at us. They looked at us. And I think... Their conscience was pricked. They made the sign of the cross before they went in. The Holy Spirit was reminding them of their indelible mark that they received through baptism. They belonged to Christ. A black homeless lady who says she was schizophrenic at the end, she asked us to pray for her at the end. The men put their crucifixes and touched her shoulders. 
And she cried as we prayed for her. We prayed for her out loud, begging God, begging God to bless her and to heal her from her schizophrenia and to provide for all her needs. She wept as crucifixes touched her shoulders and her neck around, around the perimeter. The Catholics that attended told me that told me after, and they've been texting me all morning that they were never more proud to be Catholic than last night. They want to do it again. <laughs> yep, we stood in the public square and we took up space for our Lord and Our Lady. We stood in the breach and the weapons we used to break the demonic strongholds were faith, hope, and love and public prayer. Okay, family. Up next, on the rundown. Got a lot to talk about. We want to talk about Pope Francis. Is he targeting American Catholics? Let's take a look at that. Happy Holy Advent. Also today is the, the uh, Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. And also, we're preparing for Advent, or we're in, we are in Advent, we're preparing for Christmas. Advent is a preparation for Christmas. And Ad, Advent also, let's not forget that in the, in the traditional calendar of the Catholic faith, Advent is also a mini Lent. It's, people forget that it's also kind of a mini Lent, where we're also supposed to enter into the ascetical practices, you know, of uh, almsgiving, more prayer, and more penance. But I want to move to another topic on the Holy Father. Uh, good article by TFP. It's called, Why Does Pope Francis Target American Catholics? Despite efforts to adjust to the, to the theological roller coaster of the Francis papacy, the American clergy finds itself the frequent target of his offensive remarks. A new study on priests and seminarians in America gives some insight into the reasons behind the attacks. Uh, Pope Francis has called upon Catholics to embrace controversial positions on moral, ecological, and political issues often identified with the left. American Catholics have voiced concerns about many of these progressive positions. We prefer that our Holy Father and the Magisterium that they tend to faith in morals and stay out of political policy. Let the lay people decide on those issues through a vote or through legislation. But Pope Francis has responded to some Catholic culture warriors. I would consider myself a Catholic culture warrior. Not only a faithful disciple of Christ and, and an evangelical Catholic, but also a culture warrior because I don't live... In, on heaven, I live in planet Earth, so I must be concerned what's happening in the culture, which was once influenced by the Catholic faith. We call that Western civilization. But Pope Francis often responds by calling a lot of us as Catholics, American Catholics, backward and ideological. He has criticized us for not following the synodal way of the of the avant-garde sectors avant-garde means experimental or unusual ideas the avant-garde sectors that supposedly represent the church's future nope 
The synodal way does not re represent the future of the church. Not even close. The Holy Father seems impatient with a clergy that is unwilling to embrace progressive ideas. Remember the Bible in, uh, in the gospel, in, in, the, in the second letter of John. John the Apostle, he tells us that anybody who embraces progressive thought does not have God. And this is why lay Catholics that know their faith, we can't accept the progressive thoughts coming from those in the Catholic Church in high places. Because progressive thought goes against the Word of God. Where's that found at? Okay, some people are, are wondering. Well, the, the name progressive is another word for liberal or modernist. It means the same thing. Progressive thought means liberal or modernist thought. Exact same thing. And so, people might naturally suspect that the problem lies with older priests and faithful attached to traditional ways and that the solution would seem to be a matter of waiting for these traditional-minded to die out to make room for the young progressive ranks to advance to, advance to leadership. However, the real reason for the disconnect is the contrary. There is an 18-page November report issued by the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. And they've discovered that the younger and not the older American priests are drifting away from progressive Catholicism. Did you hear that? The young Catholic priests are moving away from progressive Catholicism because they know that it's been tried and it's been tested, and it's a failed experiment. Progressive, modernist, liberal Catholicism has basically emptied out the pews in the Catholic Church. The Bible condemns progressive thought in 2 John chapter 1, verse 9. 2 John chapter 1, verse 9, John the Apostle writes, quote, Anyone who is so progressive as not to remain in the teaching of the Christ, does not have God. Whoever remains in the teaching has the Father and the Son. Let me read it again. A Catholic cannot be progressive. It's in the Bible. The New American Bible Translation, NAB, 2 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, anyone who is so progressive as not to remain in the teaching of the Christ does not have God. Can it be any clearer than that? Nope. The young priests are re rejecting progressive Catholicism. Simply put, the portion of new priests who see themselves as politically liberal or theologically progressive has been steadily declining since the Second Vatican Council. Music to my ears. This is what the report says that came out of the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. The figures are impressive. The results reflect one of the most extensive surveys of Catholic clergy in over 50 years 
it counted on the responses of 131 bishops and 3,500 priests and extensive interviews with over 100 priests. Yep. There is a steady decline. The American clergy was not always conservative as shown by the generational differences in attitudes. Priests who, has, who identified as somewhat progressive or very progressive fell from almost 70% among those ordained in 1965 to 1969 to less than 5% among those ordained in 2020 or later. Moreover, no priests ordained after 2020 described themselves as very progressive. None. The study's authors are careful to note that the labels are based on the self-perception of those surveyed. They do not represent any specific issues. However, the survey does indicate the general direction of the clergy and the church in America. In other words, what are we seeing? That there's no more middle ground. One important conclusion is the emptying of the theological left and middle among the American clergy. Some 85% of the youngest respondents describe themselves as conservative, orthodox, or very conservative and orthodox theologically. This number clashed with those of the past. Theologically progressive and very progressive priests once made up 68% of new ordinations, the report says. Today that number has dwindled almost to zero. This conclusion means what? The decline is a set course, not a seminary formation trend. The overwhelming character of these views indicates that there are no mechanisms in place to change the course. Any such effort would take years to reverse. Despite all of this, again, we have to still have reverence for the papacy. You hear what I said? We still have to have reverence for the office of the papacy. The survey from Catholic University of America in Washington reveals the future of the church in America is heading towards a more orthodox and conservative position. In other words, progressivism, progressive Catholicism is dying. However, the disagreement to the clergy with the progressive issues favored by Pope Francis does not seem to affect the veneration these priests have for his office. Catholics in America are not in revolt against Pope Francis. The poll showed that despite younger, younger age ordinations trending more conservative and orthodox, both politically and theologically, the overwhelming majority of these younger priests do value accountability to Pope Francis. In other words, there, there is no movement towards sedevacantism. There just isn't. The poll showed that despite younger age ordinations that are trending more conservative and orthodox. So why is America targeted? Why? Well, as Catholics, we have an an overwhelming respect for the office of the Pope. Number one. But we have to have also a balanced position of resistance that does not destroy love for the church's hierarchy. We have to have a balanced resistance. Not a Protestant resistance. Not an Eastern Orthodox resistance. A Catholic resistance. We don't want to destroy anything about the church. We want to hold the church together. And we want to exercise love 
even in our resistance to the church getting involved in political policy issues that have nothing to do with the Bible or divine revelation. So why why is, is America targeted? The American clergy's adherence to orthodoxy helps explain Pope Francis's attitude towards America. Everything about the American reaction contradicts a progressive narrative about how these Catholics should be acting. All the myths are smashed. Progressive ideas that should be attractive fail to appeal to America, which has long been promoted as a progressive nation. Youth, which should be the most progressive age group, is now proving to be the most theologically orthodox. According to the progressive narrative, Americans should not yearn for should not yearn for tradition, but for ecological and synodal conversion. But they don't, especially the young people. All these things explain why Catholics in America are a target. It's not because some small vocal conservative groups have targeted, have created controversy. It's because we're trending towards tradition and that's going mainstream. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show up next. Talking about wearing a rosary can make a Latino a target for the police. What's that all about? Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're back to Terry and Jesse show. There's a, a professor of religious studies at the University of Arizona. Her name is Daisy Vargas. She's a, a professor of religious studies. I'll tell you where I gr- agree with her. She, she wrote an article. It's called Wearing a Rosary Can Make a Latino a Target for Police. Since I'm Latino and since I'm Catholic and I'm a retired cop, I'm probably an expert in this area. So I'll tell you where she's right and I'll tell you where she's wrong. So she's a college professor at the University of Arizona. She writes, I'll interrupt where I think she's wrong. Or when she makes a good point, I'll say she's right. So Daisy Vargas, a a history professor of religious studies, University of Arizona says, Many law enforcement officers associate Catholic imagery and symbols with criminality in the U.S. Latino community, a historian researching the American Southwest said. In court records, law enforcement testify to stopping drivers by establishing reasonable suspicion of criminal activity due to Catholic symbols or objects on their cars. Daisy Vargas, a historian and professor of religious studies at the University of Arizona, told Catholic News Service on November 29th during a three-day theology conference in Bogota, Bogota, Colombia. Now, I'm a retired cop. I know many cops. I don't know any cop, any cop in Arizona or or in Kansas or in California, anywhere that's pulled somebody over because they have a rosary hanging from their rear rear mirror. That's just not, that's just not true. Okay. That's not probable cause. Uh, I have a rosary in my rear view mirror and I pray it every day. When I get in my truck, I pray it comes off my rear view mirror and I pray it. And so I don't know any cop that says, Oh yeah, I stop. I stop every single car. That's probable cause. Uh, when they have a rosary 
Okay, so I take issue with her saying that. Then she says this, the professor. She said that possessing images of Catholic saints clutching prayer cards or hanging rosaries from rear, from rear view mirrors have been cited in legal disputes to justify vehicle searches and even arrests. Okay, maybe she's seen evidence that I haven't seen. I'll grant her that. A 2011 federal case in New Mexico stated that the presence of a rosary in a car aroused suspicion and justified a vehicle search since the officers involved training and experience indicates that contraband courier, couriers often keep religious articles on their vehicles to appear law-abiding and religious. I'm going to give her, I'll give her some, I'll cut her some slack. It is true that the Mexican cartels, the Mexican mafia, even Mexican gang members, there's, a, there's some partial truth to this. They will use Catholic images Catholic imagery, Catholic articles like the rosary, they use them superstitiously. They think that it offers them protection against law enforcement. They also, low-hanging fruit Catholics, gang members, Mexican mafia, Mexican cartels, those are low-hanging fruit Catholics. They're, They're basically apostates. But they also use Catholic imagery to recruit young, low-information Catholics, like a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid that they're recruited into the cartels or the Mexican mafia or, or, or Mexican gang, uh, sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll tantalize them by showing them religious imagery and making them feel kind of comfortable, like, oh, this is kind of a Catholic thing. This is kind of a Catholic brotherhood. So I'll, I'll give the, the professor, she's, she's making a good point there. She writes, a 2019 case in Ohio included as, a co- as cause for a vehicle search that the defendant was wearing a rosary as a necklace and that the officer, as a practicing Catholic, found it odd because it is generally not done in his culture. The officer explained that this could be considered a disclaimer or a sign used in an attempt to show that appellant was a good, law-abiding citizen. We know criminality on the border is about identifying people that look a particular way, Vargas told CNS, and that includes identifying the religious symbols that often tie people to certain racial groups. She said that such associations are reinforced through law enforcement training, which at the border is often conducted by private companies. Well, that's kind of a dumb statement. Of course, 99% of the people that cross the border illegally south of the U.S., the southern border, of course they're going to have brown skin. They come from Mexico, Latin America, and South America. It's not a racial statement. That's a statement of fact. I mean, if if China was at our border, the people crossing illegally would look Chinese. If Japan was at our border, the people crossing the south border would look like Japanese. That's not a racial statement. So she just, I, I take issue with her saying that. She writes, she writes, Vargas said, Professor Vargas from ASU, or AS, yeah, American, Arizona State University, said that law enforcement officers were taught that good Catholics don't wear rosaries as necklace, as necklaces. So when they encounter Latinos with, a, with rosaries around their necks, it creates suspicion since they see them as pretending to be good people or pretending to be good moral citizens. Well, I, I, generally, I wear a rosary around my neck. Not all the time, but I do. I, I usually wear the St. Benedict's Medal, Miraculous Medal, Brown Scapular. Sometimes I wear a rosary around my neck. So, <laughs> I'm not a thug. I've never been arrested before. Haven't even got a parking ticket in 62 years, believe it or not. Okay? 
in their testimony and affidavits, law enforcement officers are repeatedly saying, we were taught that Catholic saints uh, or the use of the rosary in this particular way is enough for us to, to suspect criminal activity, Professor Vargas said. But she noted that it is not only Catholics being targeted in traffic stops, rather this process of attaching certain identifiers of making connections that are that are then used to ra racialize to create a racial category for a particular group of people. The same way that we saw with the with, with the hijab post 9-11, I would say is similarly happening with the rosary, Vargas says. I think that's a false comparison. OK, Catholics haven't blown up uh, two buildings with two jet planes and killed 3000 people in America. So I don't believe that Muslims are profiled in the U.S. like Catholics because law enforcement is scared of Muslims. I'll say it as an ex-cop. They're afraid of them. That's why the FBI, they turned their whole, uh, you know, their whole office from investigating Muslim terrorists now to investigating traditional Catholics because they're afraid of Muslims. I'm not saying this, the guys on the street. The administration, the federal law enforcement administration and, and law enforcement in the cities and counties the management is afraid of Muslim terrorists or Muslims, period, because they're going to push back. Don't be profiling me. But it's OK. You could profile Catholics, as we know from a, a recent FBI leaked report, specific, specifically targeting traditional and pro-life Catholics. Professor Vargas added that the tension is intra-Catholic as well, since it is not only Catholics that stop people in possession of Catholic imagery, but Catholics and law enforcement who target others for not practicing the right kind of Catholicism. <laughs> okay, she got me there. Now, when I worked the L.A. County Jail, and I worked East Los Angeles and South Los Angeles, Cudahy. Now, to be honest with you, a lot of gang members are ex-convicts. They do wear rosaries around their neck. And, and a lot of us as Hispanic Catholics, we know that. And so, but they wear it superstitiously. They don't wear it in faith. They, they wear it to protect, be protected uh, from law enforcement and to be protected as they're committing their crimes. So there is a partial truth to what she's saying that in the Hispanic community, there's an intra-Catholic battle. We know that a lot of people that don't practice their faith and live, live in mortal sin and live, live you know, a, a life of debauchery, they do wear a rosary around their neck. In the LA County Jail, a lot of the inmates, even the black inmates and the white inmates, they pass out rosaries to them and they wear it around their neck again superstitiously they go the cat they the white inmates and the black inmates say hey catholics wear this so it must give them some type of uh, protection so she that that's partially true but it wasn't always that way because i can tell you in uh there's a whole tradition of many of the great saints that wore rosaries around their neck it's, you know it's some like even uh St. Louis de Montfort, because it's a sacramental, St. Louis de Montfort said, yeah, of course you can wear a rosary on your neck. It's a sacramental. At the end of the 12th century, St. Dominic of Guzman was worried about the, the French Catholics losing their faith to the Albigensian heresy, which is found in Albi, France. Uh, this, uh, the Albigensian heretics, they believed that the body was evil. They believed that suicide was a sacrament. They believed sex was evil. They were vegetarians because killing animals was evil. So our Blessed Mother appeared to St. Dominic of Guzman holding a rosary in her hand and she said to St. Dominic that the best weapon to convert hardened souls and guard against, against error 
was through praying the Holy Rosary. So, true statement, praying the Holy Rosary is better than wearing the Holy Rosary around your neck. But there's nothing wrong because it is a sacramental. So there's nothing with, wrong with wearing it around your neck, but it's better to pray it every single day if you're going to wear it around your neck. St. Dominic said that those that pray the rosary, she says this is the best weapon to convert hardened souls and guard against error through praying the holy rosary. Our Lady also explained to St. Dominic how to pray the rosary, and she explained how much the rosary pleased God the Father because it reminded him of the moment that humanity, represented by Mary, had accepted his son as a savior of the world. Our Lady recommended the rosary as an instrument of our salvation. And St. Dominic, he began speaking of the devotion of the rosary and people began to pray it with devotion. They began to live a Christian life and they began to leave their bad habits. St. Dominic died in 1221 after a life dedicated to preach and to promote devotion of the rosary among people of all social classes for the souls of purgatory and for the triumph over evil and the prosperity of Holy Mother the Church. Remember, it is important to remember that among the poor also in third world countries, amongst a lot of the Hispanic poor, they wear the rosary around their neck piously. They don't, they don't do it out of like it's costume jewelry. For many poor people in third world Catholic countries, they do wear the rosary as an expression of faith. All right, family, that's a wrap. I'm done. Let me give you the five stones of David. Pray your Holy Rosary every day. Remember, St. Dominic received the Holy Rosary from Our Lady in order to defeat heresy. And we got the heresy of modernism that we're fighting every single day against. Go to Mass today, Holy Day of Obligation, and go to Mass as often as possible. Read your Bible every day. Read the daily Mass readings. Remember, today, Friday, a day of penance. Fridays, penance, penance, penance. And remember, go to confession often. At least once a month. Once a month, lay Catholics. So you can remain in a state of grace. America, wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Wake up to Jesus. There's the global warming alert. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? See you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith.